I remember when I went, uh, it sounds a little too loud. Is it too loud? <clears throat> I remember when I went on my first retreat and uh, Jack was teaching and I think I was 19 years old. And I had this, I was suffering so much and I really felt like... Um, this was my only hope. Like maybe I'd been meditating kind of half-assed for a little while, a couple years, and and uh, meditation was the only thing I ever found any solace in, and I had some delusion that actually um, a retreat would just fix it all. Something, there was some magic that was going to happen in the retreat that was going to take away the causes of my suffering. And uh, how disappointing <laughs> it was to go on retreat and realize that in some ways it made it even worse. That um, taking away all of the distractions, all of the avoidance techniques, all of the... And just being uh, alone with ourselves, with our mind, with... Um, how uh, difficult it can be. Um, and how exhausting. On some level tonight, I uh, want to talk about uh, effort, but um, not exactly. But there can be this idea of like, oh, I'm going to go and just be quiet and meditate and walk and it's going to be relaxing. And uh, the reality of how much effort it takes to, to become present and to try to stay present and how uh, just the mind wants to go to the future and to the past and coming back over and over to here, to the present. And the instruction I gave on the first morning of coming back with some intention of kindness, of a, a gentleness. or a, I know for myself, I couldn't do that for years. Somebody even asked me in one of the interviews, like, okay, I hear the suggestion to be kind, but how do we do that? How do we meet ourselves with kindness? It, it's, it's truly counter uh, instinctual. Um, I believe it's one of the reasons why the Buddha, after his awakening, when considering the possibility of trying to teach uh, his experience, to share his experience with others, one of the reasons why he said, you know, this is maybe too radical, too counterintuitive, too against the norm. He said it was patiso tagami as the Pali term that we receive and it translates as against the stream. That, um, and, and as we know, like the, a, a current or a stream has so much energy, so much pull, and to go against it, even just mindfulness, the effort to be present. Sounds quite simple, be present. <laughs> So the instructions are so, just, just yeah, pay attention. 
Um, and even when we develop the ability to, to pay attention, to be present, and all of the effort that it takes to do that, then uh, what we are actually face-to-face with in the present isn't always good news. Uh, I forget who it was when Jack, I hear, heard him say a bunch of times, um, quoting somebody, maybe it was Trungpa, or, uh, he said, uh, meditation is one, one insult after another. First, I couldn't be here, and then when I got here, I was just suffering here. And uh, I, was, I saw all of my low self-esteem and all of my self-centeredness and all of my fear and uh, what was happening here in the present. Now I realize why I don't live in the present. <laughs> because it's not so great some of the information, some of the reality of our mind is, uh, it's disturbing. Perhaps you've been getting a taste of some of that in these first few days. In one teaching, the Buddha said, um, And there's an interesting context to this. A a Brahmin came to the Buddha and asked him if he um, performed a devotional practice, a purification practice of bathing in a holy, one of the holy rivers. It wasn't the Ganges, it was a different river near Gaia where the Buddha had been practicing. And and he said, do you go to the river to wash away your defilements, your evil deeds, your bad karma. And, um, and the Buddha said, no, I don't do that. I don't believe in that. I, I practice and I teach uh, what could be considered bathing, but it's not bathing in the sacred waters. It is an inner bathing that we are um, using mindfulness and concentration and ethics to develop inner wisdom and compassion and you could call it an inner bathing inner scrubbing (laughs) inner soaking and he used the analogy he said um, the heart mind uh, that that we are on some level is um, has a um, it's like a cloth and, and there's a, a nature to all of us that's like an unstained cloth, that's clean, that's pure, that's undefiled, that has natural goodness, natural ability to be loving and kind and compassion. That's within all of us. But then there's the question like, oh, well, then why? I know for myself, I was meditating for years and I, didn't, I couldn't find it. I would look at my mind and I would just see an anger and fear and lust, anger, fear, lust, anger, fear, lust, anger, fear, lust. Just on rapid repeat. And I heard my teacher saying, oh no, there's happiness. (laughs) There's peace, there's goodness, there's compassion, there's love, you are love. Like, Like, you haven't been in my mind. Um, I want to believe you and I'm getting some relief from the mindfulness so I'm going to keep going. Uh, 
But it took, it was such a gradual process in my experience, as it is for so many of us, to connect with this um, pure nature. And to see, and the Buddha goes on in this, he said, it's like a cloth, but it's a cloth that is stained. That all of us, there's something about taking birth in the human form, in this survival instinct, in this biologically evolved fight or flight, self-centered species that we are, this human condition, that naturally obscures that. Um, and the, the part of the, um, what I like about this is that it takes all of the blame away. It's not your fault. It's not, it wasn't my fault. It's not your fault that um, you can't just be at peace. <laughs> that you can't just decide to be love, that actually it takes effort, it takes training, it takes discipline, it takes long-term uh, counter-instinctual activities like going into silence and training the heart and mind all day, every day, for the rest of your life. So that there is um, a purity and an um, unstained and a, a nature within us that is ex accessible to all of us. Um, but what we have to do, and so much what we're doing is that we are um, scrubbing, we're doing the inner bathing, and that each mindful breath is a, uh, a pass of the scrub brush, of the, of the soap. Each uh, intention to be kind, even if it doesn't land, even if it doesn't, uh, even if it's not working yet, is actually, it's, it is cleaning, it is cleansing, it is uh, bleaching the stained cloth of the heart, mind. In this particular teaching, the Buddha names um, 17 things that are getting in the way of our happiness, and sometimes referred to as defilements. And every single one of these, not your fault. And you have all of them. And if you say that you don't have any of them, denial. One level or another, the Buddha is not saying some people have this. He's saying this is what it's like to be human. To be human, uh, you have greed, craving, and he uses the term covetousness, that unrighteous, I want what you have, that greed. Not just want, but I, I lust for it. And that that's natural when that arises. Has that happened to you today? And we think of greed often as material, but it's not necessarily material. You might have spiritual greed. If I could just be Jack Cornfield, <laughs> I'd be engaged to Trudy. <laughs> then I'd be happy. He 
he talks about the uh, ill will, the natural arising of uh, of hatred in the form of um, wishing harm upon other people. talks about the natural process of anger, that we're just born into this form that experiences anger and hostility. So all of those manifestations of aversion, right, they all come out of, um, you know, ill will, anger, hostility, denigration, resentment, judgment. So just rest for a moment in the reality that that's just part of your mind. You took birth into a mind that has all of those mind states at times. And it gets in the way of our happiness. Uh, I'm going to go through the list, but what he's talking about here is he says, um, first we have to know it. We have to break the denial, the minimalization, the fake spiritual, not me, I'm I'm a lover. I'm kind and compassionate. I never have ill will towards Trump. (laughs) I I know that Trump was my mother in a past life. I I love Cruz, just no ill will, no anger. First, we have to know what's happening in here. And so much of what we're doing on retreat, turning towards what's happening in here, what's happening in here. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important to go beyond the initial instructions of breath awareness to open. We can use the breath as a uh, avoidance. And I've been guilty of it, and so many of us have been guilty of using the breath as a concentration in order to bypass our anger and our ill will and our lust and our craving, in order to not face the reality of our mind, in order to not know the truth. We can use practice as a way to avoid rather than what the Buddha is actually asking us to do, which is turn towards what this path actually is about, which is turn towards and learn to be with, to see clearly. You'll be able to respond appropriately, but only if you're knowing the truth of your own mind, your own heart. He goes on to talk about the mind states, the stains, the defilements of being domineering or controlling. How many times today did you have some sort of thought, like, if they would just act right, if they would just, if everybody would just behave, I totally know what everyone should do. And if they would, I can't do it, but if they would do it. And the state of, uh, the experience of envy and jealousy. Very natural to, We're born into this craving system, repetitive craving, second noble truth. And I think it's important for us when we're talking about envy and jealousy and craving and the greed to make a distinction between uh, craving, which is the thought I have to have, and envy and jealousy, and it's that delusion, I would be happy if I had what you have. 
If I was Jack, then I'd be happy. If I, I would, if I just, if I had the turbocharged V8. <laughs> Craving is a delusion that says, That's, I need that, I have to have it in order to be happy. But desire is not going away. And I think we need to be careful sometimes in Buddhism when we talk about desire as sort of a bad thing. Wanting a turbocharged V8, no problem. Wanting to be Jack, no problem. As long as you know that that's not, right? Just wanting, desire, no big deal. Natural, desire's not ever going away. Craving, the promise is craving can end. But I feel like it's important because sometimes I feel like people very advanced in their practice are feeling like failures. I still want. Of course you want. Nothing wrong with wanting. But wanting is, I know I don't need it. I want it. It's okay to want. No suffering in wanting. A lot of suffering in craving. It makes sense to make that distinction? I think it's an important one. For me, it's been important. He goes on to talk about uh, hypocrisy. The mind is just a hypocrite, <laughs> right? Just is, not your fault. Like, it's just such a hypocrite. It has all of the best advice and so rarely follows it. <coughs> totally knows what to do. Stop judging, you asshole. Stop judging me for judging. <laughs> and the tendency towards um, being dishonest, sometimes translated as fraud, of not being completely honest with ourselves or others, showing up into the interview, the group meeting with the teacher. I'm fine. Really? All the time? The whole time you've been fine? Wow. And that kind of, well, I don't want to tell you the truth. That would be too intimate. That would be too scary to admit that sometimes I'm, I'm really suffering a lot. And um, so all of the ways that we, um, the mind wants to exaggerate or minimalize or uh, uh, leave out um, omit the truth, all of those forms of dishonesty. And um, presumption, being presumptuous, the expectations that we bring that the mind has, believing it's going to be this way or that way. And all of the self-centeredness, the um, conceit and vanity and arrogance, Conceit is interesting in Buddhism because it's a bit different than our Western sense of being of conceit. I, for me, I think of conceit as an inflated sense of self. He's conceited, she's conceited, they, and doesn't it, for me, it always lands as like, oh yeah, that means that's sort of, an, they're on an ego trip, conceit. 
But the way the Buddha talks about it is that it's any belief in I, me, or mine as a solid, permanent self. He says the belief I am superior to, to is conceit. Also, low self-esteem I am inferior to is also totally self-centeredness. It's completely conceit. When you're sitting here feeling unworthy, conceit. I, me, mine, comparing mind. Conceit gets in the way of our happiness, whether it's inflated or deflated. And he goes on, and I kind of set this one aside mostly, but he says, even the feeling of I am equal to is conceit. Too much I am in there. And when you believe it, I and you, and this, it's just belief in this permanent self. I was having an argument with a Dharma teacher a few years ago, one of my Dharma teachers, somebody who I'd studied with, and she was upset with me. And um, she said, Noah, you've become so arrogant. What happened to you? And uh, I just was totally dismissive to her as my arrogance dictated. <laughs> and, but at the time, I was like, arrogant? I just feel confident. And then upon reflection, I was like, oh, confidence, yes, but I'm totally dismissive of other people. And I think that's actually the definition of arrogance. <laughs> confidence met with a dismissiveness of, I was like, oh, I am, I am arrogant. I wasn't, I wasn't seeing that. And although it was an unpleasant uh, interaction, it actually helped me know the truth of how arrogance does arise and, and uh, how I show up in that way sometimes. I believe it sometimes. The last thing... So you can see most of this as, as greed and of hatred and of delusion, self-centered delusion. The last thing, the 17th uh, defilement, which is almost in its own category, is neglect. The defilement of neglecting our practice, neglecting ourselves, neglecting our duties, neglecting our responsibilities, our taking responsibility, uh, looking at the Eightfold Path as uh, our map, as our guide, and then kind of reflecting on uh, what, what aspect of this path am I neglecting? Do I meditate a lot, but I'm not so careful with my speech? Neglecting right speech. Do I real careful with my ethics, but I'm a bit lazy around my meditative discipline, neglecting my mindfulness practice? And of course, if we neglect our, the effort that it takes and the practices that we have, the map, the, the path, then uh, we're never going to get free. And so what a major uh, road stop that is. What a major blockage, dead end. So he says, this inner bathing, first we see the cloth of the mind and we acknowledge all of these things, the arrogance and the uh, ill will, the resentments, the vanity, the conceit. First we have to see our mind completely clearly, our, our hearts. We have to see what's there, what are, what's, 
What's blocking this pure nature? And first knowing the truth of that, and then he says we begin this process of abandoning, of letting go. Abandon ship. And it's one of those teachings, like many Buddhist teachings, that sounds so nice. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just abandon? Just fucking cut it out. Stop. <laughs> it's not quite that easy. It's like that Bob, Bob Newhart skit. I don't know. You're too young for Bob Newhart, but... Where he's a therapist and he just, people come in to him and talk about what's going on in their life and he just says, stop it. <laughs> stop. So in this teaching, as sometimes Buddhist teachings are a little too, he says, we abandon. And if I look at my um, own process, um, I haven't, I've never been able to just simply abandon arrogance or self-centeredness or hatred. It wasn't so simple of just I abandoned it. But what did happen for me, and what I think is part of the gradual process, is that the first thing is that I stopped believing in things like hatred as good or noble. Or believing that it was okay to be um, vain or arrogant or to have ill will towards anyone, including Trump. Right, because maybe you still have that. You think, like, well, there's certain people that it's okay to hate, right? Because they're like kind of evil, so we can hate the evil. Um, and still, but abandoning even that belief and really taking on this view that says, I want to have compassion and kindness and forgiveness for all living beings. I want to be free from all of the forms of suffering and ill will on any level, resentment, hatred on any level is blocking my freedom, is blocking my happiness and my usefulness, my engagement with the world. So he says knowing and abandoning and um, really a gradual process, not that we can just abandon as a choice, but as a long-term, and it happens. It loosens our identification with these mind states loosen. And really, uh, more than anything I feel happens is that we, um, we abandon the belief in them and the identification with them as self. It's not that anger is no longer going to arise, but that we don't take it so personal. We just say, oh yeah, anger again, this is the human condition. Oh, I'm thinking about myself again. Big surprise, of course I am. That's just what the mind does. It's shameless. It thinks about itself most of the time. But we, we, we break the identification with it through the mindfulness, through getting concentrated, the insight. Uh, uh. Does that make sense? Let's... But in this teaching, he just says, okay, you know it, you abandon it, you scrub it clean. And the outcome of this purification, Vipassana often called a purification practice, is that you gain unwavering confidence in awakening because you get a taste of it, verified faith through direct experience. You see, this is working, this is desirable, this is healthy, this is a taste of freedom, and I have confidence in uh, the potential to become awake. 
in Buddha, unwavering confidence. Now again, um, it's a little uh, extreme, unwavering, like never, no doubt ever again. So I don't, I, personally, I don't, I don't buy it. Um, I don't buy that doubt never arises again. I, in Leela's talk last night, the hindrances, she talked about Mara. Mara keeps coming back, even if you're enlightened. A little doubt's going to enter the mind here and there. There's going to be some wavers, <laughs> a little wavering. Uh, but the difference is when you're really seeing clearly, you don't take it personal. You respond to, you relate to the doubt rather than incarnate as it, rather than taking it personal and saying, this is real, this is true. You just see it as a passing thought or emotion. But the teaching says unwavering confidence in Buddha, in Dharma, and in the community and the Sangha. And it resonates for me, as I hope it resonates for you, um, as in, yeah, the more I practiced and the more freedom I got and the more uh, progress, slow, slow, slow progress over the decades <laughs> of practice, the more I just, like, believed. Not blind faith, but just verified, like, yes, this works. Yes, it's possible to see clearly and to respond wisely and appropriately. Yes, this ethical way of being is way better, is way less suffering than the uh, unethical way that I used to be. Yes, having wise friendships, hanging out with people that know what you're talking about and have the same goals. A lot of confidence in community, the necessity of community in practice and in our lives. Now, I was talking about effort. In this particular teaching, you know, the Buddha said against the stream and he said the effort. But in this particular teaching, he says, once you've abandoned the uh, defilements, this natural process starts to happen. You gain confidence. And then he, starts, he says, um, and through that confidence, you'll have a natural enthusiasm for practice. A natural enthusiasm. You'll just be like, yes, for life and engagement and enthusiasm. And that that enthusiasm will lead to a gladdening of the heart, to feelings of appreciation and gratitude, and just like, I'm so glad that I'm doing this, even though it was, has been so difficult. I'm so glad I'm here. Even though today sucked, I'm so glad I'm here. Even though my knees ache, I have confidence in what I'm doing. I'm so glad, so appreciative of this work. And from that gladness, uh, an experience of joy is born, that we, we experience joy, and there's plenty of joy to be experienced. And just in retreat, I've had some of the uh, best times of my life on retreat. where sustained periods of joy were just kind of flowing through. And they're impermanent too, but just flowing through, just like, this is amazing, and I'm not high or anything. 
and I'm not having sex and I'm not eating food that I want to eat. I'm not, none of that external sense pleasure, but this spiritual joy that comes at some points in the practice, which leads to a calming and a tranquility and a natural sense of happiness. Now, you can't make joy, happiness, <laughs> or uh, tranquil. You can't make it happen. The way that I'm hearing this teaching uh, from the Buddha and the way that I've experienced it is that it happens when you do the practice. It happens when you, uh, I think Jack said in the, his talk the other night, he talked about the flower, and you can't peel open, you can't make it blossom. You have to wait. <laughs> you have to wait and you have to keep watering it and giving it sunlight and you have to keep sitting and walking and sitting and walking and eating mindfully. And from that happiness and contentment, uh, the mind becomes concentrated and has the ability to see really, really clearly. Now, at this point in the process, he says, you know, even, even here, and this, this teaching keeps going, but he says, even here, he says, my disciples, and he's talking to this Brahmin, he says, you know, me and my uh, disciples that have done this, we are so free now because we've abandoned the defilements and we're coming from this place of joy. He said, now we can even enjoy sense pleasures without suffering about them gets almost tantric. Well, he says, we can eat delicious food. He says, we could have the choicest rice and curries and chutneys. No suffering. Because, you know, he's coming from that asceticism, that practice of like, oh no, you eat delicious food? You are totally indulgent. And he's saying, actually, and I want to bring this into a bigger sense. He's saying, actually, when we get this kind of freedom, then we can uh, satisfy the healthy desires for sense pleasures, maybe even material things, and not suffer about it because there's not the clinging anymore. There's not the self-centeredness. There's not the delusion that says, this is going to make me happy. We understand this is impermanent pleasure to be uh, appreciated without, cling without clinging, non-attached appreciation. He says, and this ability to engage in sense pleasures turns to a place of uh, loving kindness, metta. Once we've scrubbed, you scrub, 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 scrub. And then what remains, the cloth's nature, is one of love, loving kindness, unconditional friendliness. That that's in here, it's in each one of us, under the greed, under the self-centeredness, under the delusion, is a heart that just loves, that just cares, compassion, all of the Brahma-viharas. <clears throat> Appreciative joy and equanimity and loving kindness. Radiating, and he uses the directions above and below and east and west, and, and he says, excluding none, and I like the, this, he says, to all, as to oneself. And so we spend a lot of time in retreat saying, may I be happy, may I be at ease, may I be free. And we start with to myself and then we expand benefactors and neutral people and even our enemies. 
a feeling of friendliness, of kindness towards all beings is the outcome of this effort that we're putting in. A feeling of compassion to all as to oneself. So many of us are pretty good at caring about others and others in pain and there's so many caregivers and therapists and healers and doctors in this room and you're you know, pretty good uh, at caring about other people's pain. But sometimes we forget as to ourselves, our own pain, our own sadness, our own grief and tending to and that the unobscured heart cares as much about oneself as others has as much kindness towards oneself as others, has as much uh, appreciation, appreciative joy, gratitude for your own happiness, for your own well-being, your own health, or reality, whatever reality you're in. And a quality of equanimity, of understanding that no matter how much I love others, I can't fix them, no matter how much compassion I have. My care for you is not going to implant compassion within you. That that's karmic purification, this inner bathing, all beings have to do for themselves. The Buddha, fully enlightened, loving, compassionate, couldn't do the work for anyone else. No grace, no blessing, none of that mumbo-jumbo, just instructions, just instructions. Here's how to cleanse your heart and mind. As I have done, you can do. Here's the instructions. Here's some support. Here's a community. Here's a path. Having the equanimity also to accept so many of our loved ones aren't going to do the work. So many people that we care about in in this world and don't care about and and hate in in this world aren't going to do it and having the equanimity to rest in being at ease with what is the reality of our lack of power over others. And our total responsibility for our own happiness, regardless of others. I have some sense that the reason the Buddha started teaching them, I have some sense that. Um, that, that, as he explains here, that this was just the natural outcome of the Buddha's mindfulness practice. This abandoning, no, seeing clearly, and, and relinquishing identification. That, and then, you know, just love and compassion. It was just the natural outcome. But then as he began teaching, he realized, oh, it's not happening so quickly for people. Maybe I should actually give them instructions like a metta meditation. Rather than waiting for it to be the outcome, of this purification process. Let's actually help uh, incline the heart towards loving kindness. You don't have to just wait for it to happen spontaneously. Incline your heart, train your mind, 
create that neural pathway of kindness, of compassion, of reminding yourself of your limitations when it comes to controlling the happiness of others. says this uh, relinquishing and abandoning of the defilements lead to a heart that has grown boundless and free of hatred and ill will towards ourselves and all other living beings. And uh, my own experience was that I had to do for daily forgiveness meditation for myself and a long list <laughs> a very long list of other people before I ever got a taste of what it was like to live free from hatred or ill will. Uh, about a decade of daily forgiveness practice um, before I came to a moment of not being uh, angry at myself or the people that had caused me harm or the politicians that cause harm. He goes on, I almost feel like this is a little infomercially, right? But wait, there's more. <laughs> Not only will your heart explode <laughs> in rainbow loving kindness. Not only will you be able to enjoy sense pleasures. Not only will you have joy and happiness and tranquility. You will understand what is suffering and what is the end of suffering, what is freedom. You will know directly that liberation. Directly liberated from self-centeredness and ignorance. And again, this is by getting seeing clearly what's happening in the mind and no longer believing it, breaking our misidentification with it. This is natural outflowing. He says you will enter the deathless and you will have no more rebirth. You will be, you exhaust the karma that has been fueling this wandering in samsara, this rebirth process. It's one of those teachings where it just goes all the way. <laughs> and then he comes back to the Brahmin that he's arguing with. And I think also the teaching is, right, there's, he's right here giving a teaching in, to, in conflict. This guy's coming to him sort of judgmentally and saying like, what kind of spiritual person are you? You don't even bathe in the Ganges. And he's giving him this teaching and he comes back to it. And says, yes, this inner bathing is, is my practice, it's my teaching. Through our own efforts, getting free. Through our own efforts, seeing clearly. 
through our own efforts, experiencing directly our true, our heart's true nature when it is unobscured, when it is unstained. And then there's a poem, which I only, pieces of it. He says, a fool may forever bathe, yet they will not purify their karma through this bathing. And he says, the river water cannot purify or cleanse your heart, your mind, or your karma. Only one who is pure of heart, who does good deeds, right, our own actions. It is here that we should bathe, not out there, not, no external refuge, not looking out there. It is here, it is here, this mind-heart training And he ends with, it is here that we should bathe to make ourselves a refuge for all living beings. Not just for our own happiness. And this is only one of two places in all of the suttas that I'm aware of where the Buddha uses the term refuge. Here, become a refuge, make yourself into a safe kind, compassionate, loving force in this world. And then on his deathbed where he reminds his followers, his students, he says, seek no external refuge. Stop looking outside of yourself. Only the dharma, only the practice, only your own life's energy. Don't look out there. Look in here. You are what you're looking for. The dharma will lead to your liberation. Become a refuge. Become somebody who's committed to generosity, to kindness, to self-compassion, as well as compassion for others, to self-forgiveness, as well as forgiveness for Trump and Cruz. I just wear these because I think they make me look smart. What do you think? (laughs) So let's sit for a moment. (coughs) Turning towards knowing with the humility that understands it's not your fault. This is just the human condition. Just greed, just hatred, just self-centered delusion, totally natural completely normal. And each mindful moment, 
each inclining of the heart gets us closer and closer, scrubs away the clinging, the identification, the belief of I, me, mine. And allows the natural kindness of the heart, compassion, appreciation, and equanimity. May you reflect on these teachings and apply them as you see fit. Thank you. You have some time for walking practice before the final set. <laughs> 